Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcare.com/weightloss. Hi, I'm Andy Murray and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport. My name is Catherine Whitaker, part of the Eurosport tennis team. I am joined, of course, albeit remotely this week by David Law, part of the BT Sport and BBC Five Live teams. David, how are you doing on this fine February day? Oh, I'm doing fantastically well, mainly because uh, I haven't had to to get up uh, at the crack of dawn to play tennis like you. And we've got loads of tennis to talk about. But most importantly, Catherine Whitaker, how did it go against your brother? (laughs) Yes, we do have loads of tennis to talk about. There have been uh, events happening left, right, centre, Delray Beach, Marseille, Rio, Dubai. It's a a jam-packed week. But yes, let's kick off with talking about my tennis at uh, Duke's Meadows in Chiswick, because that is... The main priority here. And uh, yeah, I played at 7am yesterday morning, which was a Sunday, which David, you can vouch for this. I am not a morning person. That's an hour of the day that is pretty much um, unknown to me usually. But it was the only time that a court was available. And uh, naturally, as soon as I got home, I went straight back to bed. So... uh... (laughs) Well, I mean, I, I think I've known you for for coming up to 10 years now, Catherine, and <laughs> never have I been more shocked than than the message I received from you a couple of days ago, showing me your court booking time. I mean, I did wonder if you booked it for your mum or something, because I'm thinking, <laughs> no way, no way is this Catherine Whitaker. And this isn't an isolated incident either. This is a number of times over the past week, and it is all leading in the same direction, isn't it, Catherine? When spring hits, you want that rematch and you're getting ready for it. Or you suspect that I'm going to demand the rematch and you want to make sure. I certainly feel like I'm getting ready for something. I I can't remember the last time I played this much tennis. Somebody on Twitter suggested uh, I I might give Maria Sharapova a run for her money in the uh, Wimbledon wildcard stakes. So, uh, you know, (laughs) I wouldn't want to play down those suggestions, not for a moment. I've played on uh, three different surfaces in the space of a week, actually. I've played on a very uh, rickety... uh, hard court uh, in Wandsworth uh, in a state of um, huge disrepair. I've played on a clay court, which was great, so forgiving. Uh, And I've played on a quite a fast indoor court. And I'm just not good enough to make make the necessary adjustments to the court changes. I'm just not a good enough tennis player, which is depressing. It is so frustrating being bad at tennis. That is, it's the worst feeling in the world. It's like, and, and you know, sometimes sometimes you start playing and you realise it's just one of those days where you can't, you can't do it. It's, nothing's working. And it's like an anxiety dream. Honestly, it's like, oh my God. Do you ever have those dreams where you've just forgotten, where you just can't do something, something that you think you can do? Like you're sitting behind the wheel of a car and you can't drive. It's like, it's, it's like that. Except reality. I shouldn't, is... be te- I shouldn't be telling my potential opponent uh, this, but yes, yeah. It, it, yeah. Anyway, 
Anyway, so court, did you, did you I, I could do a, I could do a beautiful um, segue there from sort of changing surfaces into the uh, the, the the current uh, scheduling uh, of Dominic Team, but we'll save that for later in the agenda. There will be some discussion of Dominic Team because he's had a pretty good week uh, down in Rio. But we'll did save you win that. any of these matches, Catherine? No, it's my brother. My brother's really good at tennis. I don't ever beat him. Stop asking me. No, I mean, getting points is a victory. He's six foot six and good. I'm six foot seven and... <laughs> and not right. good, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you wouldn't You wouldn't stand much chance against him, trust Wait me. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. The gauntlet has been thrown down. Hey, I... he, he was under, under 12 British champion, something like that. Something right, like that, fine. yeah, well, and then didn't pick up a racket for a few years. Okay. Let, let me, let me gave gave me a chance to get into tennis. Anyway, no, I don't win any of them. It, there's no point in asking. I, I was actually, I was sort of, it was like we were level pegging when we got kicked off the clay court. Anyway, this is not <laughs> what people tune into the tennis. Should we talk about real for. tennis? Yeah, now. let's talk about real tennis. Not because uh, it, really ha- it really has, it really has been um, a busy old week. Hasn't it, David? There's been so much going on. Uh, and even in places where there hasn't been tennis or has been sort of build-ups, there's been a lot of build-up. Obviously, the, the Dubai women's event was happening last week. There's been so much build-up to the Dubai men's event. Federer back in action, of course. Murray, who's had shingles, more of that later. Vavrinka, the defending champion, he's had a knee injury. So there's both the tennis that's been happening and there's been plenty uh, of talking points away from the tennis as well. And unfortunately, David, I have to report that one of those is John McEnroe Sr., John McEnroe, Patrick McEnroe's father, um, has sadly passed away this week. And um, I don't know about you. It, uh, I mean, obviously, we don't always report on um, losses to the families of um, tennis players. And, and he was a, he had reached a good age, John McEnroe Sr. But um, I think this will affect John McEnroe quite a lot. I think he was a very, very influential man in tennis over the past uh, 50, 40 years, John McEnroe Sr., an absolute bulldozer of a character. I I had the pleasure to to meet him once at a a ATP Champions Tour event in Belgium. He had decided to come along because he had met a woman in Belgium uh, 50 or 60 years ago, more than that perhaps, minimum 60 years ago, and he'd had this sort of brief but wonderful love affair with her and he wanted to come to Bruges because uh, John was playing the event there. He wanted to come to Bruges to, to relive it all and he, he went back to the hotel where they stayed and he did, you know, walk down all the alleyways that they walked down and everything. And it was he was He was a force... Of nature, and it was so interesting seeing the dynamic of of him and John McEnroe Jr. together because it takes quite a lot to silence John McEnroe, as you know. But uh, frequently, in the presence of his father, that was the case. Yeah, I I, I had a, a similar opportunity to meet uh, JP McEnroe, John McEnroe Sr. ten years ago. Apparently, to the day yesterday, it was in Belfast when when uh, John McEnroe played uh, a Champions event there. And uh, JP came along. They've got Irish blood. They wanted to see all the the various historical landmarks of of the Troubles and so forth during the the, the course of their stay. And uh, it it was quite interesting to to, to read back on an interview that that they did together back then with BBC Radio Five Live. And uh, they were asked about what JP was like when when you know john was coming up and when he would have all of his scrapes and and so forth and 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 john McEnroe the junior said said about his dad you know he he'd say to me after i got into trouble he'd say look look you're better than these people you, you don't have to do this stuff you just you know but he wouldn't say it like that he'd say look you're better than these people you don't have to do this stuff and uh and he said you know so you, you wonder where i get it from our uh our dinner table wasn't uh wasn't the quietest yeah, I think um yeah, the, 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 exactly. You could you could trace the uh, the genetic lineage back very very clearly, couldn't you? It was very clear uh where John McEnroe got a lot of his traits from. So very sad to hear uh, the passing of JP McEnroe. Um 
yeah, very sad. But uh, we will move on to talk about uh, things that have been happening on the tennis court. One of which is Joe Wilfrid-Songa is very, very busy proving to everybody that he's not a spent force, isn't he? This is two titles on the bounce now for him. He's beaten Nick Kyrgios, Luca Puy back-to-back semi-final and final to win the title in Marseille. What a great renaissance Joe Wilfrid-Songa is having, David, back into yeah. the top ten as well. And I, I, I just, I like to see him stringing it together like this because I find him a hugely frustrating player, Joe Wilfred Songer. We talked about it a, a little bit last week. Somebody off the back of last week's episode said, you know, he'd be a Grand Slam champion if he'd been coached by Magnus Norman for the past five years. I, I don't know whether that's true. I mean, I think a valid point is made that there's a very big difference, say, between Songer's backhand and Vavrinka's backhand. There's a, there's, a, there's a clear weakness in his game there that, that can be attacked, whereas Vavrinka hasn't got one. But I do feel as though... I feel slightly shortchanged by Songa's career, given how exciting he was in 2008. I, I felt as though he was going to be a much more frequent Grand Slam finalist, certainly. And, you know, maybe maybe he took the world by surprise that year and people worked him out a little bit. But he is another one of those that you feel, I certainly feel, could still have a major impact Um in his 30s you know he's got such a big game it seems to take very little out of him and uh and he seems to to go around a, li- a little federal like as though he's enjoying life you know and and that can go a long way you're being very vague again david what is what constitutes a major impact well it would be to reach another grand slam final you I think he can do that still yeah i do i do i think if he if if songa were to have a run and play his best tennis for for a fortnight and a draw were to were to happen a little bit i mean he had a great opportunity in australia for instance when uh, when djokovic i mean i think djokovic uh, is always going to be a nightmare for him um but i i think he's always got a chance against the other top players so don't think he'll do it at the French just because of the surface nature. But at Wimbledon and the US Open, if he were to really knuckle down and play his best stuff, why couldn't he? Does the same apply, uh, albeit in very, very different circumstances, at a different end of his career, to uh, Mr. Luca Puy, who he beat in the final, David? Do you know, I, I, I'm I'm still trying to work Luca Puy out. I, don't, I haven't watched enough of his matches to really get a feel of I know I don't know these people very well anyway, but you get a feel for what they're like and how they're going to react in certain situations. I kind of feel, from what I've seen from Puy so far, he feels a bit too nice to me sometimes. I feel as though he he's in, he enjoys it, but he's almost too satisfied with, with just enjoying it and being out there and playing lovely, exciting tennis that everybody gushes over. I'm not yet convinced that we will see from Luca Pui a champion I'm, I'm really not convinced but it's very very early stages would in it, his career would a super coach help him um I I don't know I mean I, I think I think probably yes so, somebody that could come along and really show him what it is like to be a champion would 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 maybe be very important to him over on the other side of the Atlantic, David, they've had a very good week in Delray Beach. And for that reason, I felt so, so sorry for them for what happened in the final. It was in many ways the dream final uh, for them. Milos Raonic, their top seed, uh, who'd had a great match against uh, Del Potro in the semi-finals, up against Jack Sock, the American hope. It was all poised so brilliantly after, you know, I discussed last week how many pullouts they've had over the years and, and sort of um, they, they've been hit a lot by, by pullouts and the like. And this was this was their big reward, their dream final. And uh, on the day, unfortunately, Milos Raonic withdrew with a hamstring injury. And he has subsequently also withdrawn uh, from Acapulco, where he was supposed to be playing this week. These things happen. Um, I'm sure he feels terribly about it, Milos Raonic. He, he, he has done it a few times before. He did it in uh, Beijing last year, didn't he? Pulled out of the semi-final match, I believe. He definitely is... Um, he's not a guy, I don't think, that will take any risks. If he feels something wrong in his 
body. He's not going to take any risks of making it worse by going out there. I think he might be one of these players, a little bit like Andy Murray, that kind of panics a bit uh, because he has been, um, he had that uh, very unfortunate season in 2015 with injury, didn't he, where he had to have the foot surgery. And I think he, he was quite knocked by that. So I think he's pretty cautious when it comes to his body, which uh, you can't really knock him for, but it's just a terrible shame um, for Delray Beach. But congratulations to Jack Sock on winning the title there. A very good week for him. A solid return, I think, for Juan Martín Del Potro reaching the semi-final. And I know you also, David, want to give a bit of a mention to Donald Young, who had a good week too. I mean, Donald Young's results, I'm just looking them up here, over the course of Memphis and Delray Beach. Donald Young, who who is a player, if you haven't followed his career, he was prodigiously talented as a junior. He was given a huge contract by IMG. He was given John McEnroe's agent to, to, to guide him through his his formative years. He got given way too many, I think, wild cards, opportunities to play. And he, he never really came through. Brilliant left-handed player, plays a little bit like Marcelo Rios. But he, he he's always felt a little bit as though he's slightly underachieved, really, versus his talent. But... Well, oh, hang on a second, David. He didn't grow. Poor bloke yeah, well, didn't grow. True. He was lauded yeah. as a fourteen-year-old. You know, I remember U.S. Open two thousand and four. Uh, yeah, two thousand four. I was there as a fan, and I saw him hitting with John McEnroe. And of course, that would have been around about the time that he was. He would have been presumably around then, picked up by John McEnroe's agent, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. He was fourteen. And he he was, you know, decent height for a 14-year-old, but he just didn't grow beyond then. Poor chap. I really felt for him. It's something that can't really be predicted, I suppose. And, yeah, um, but there are other players who, who have not been that tall, who have, who have... I mean, look, Marcelo Rios was under six feet tall. I mean, obviously, you know, ultimately it comes down to the fact that he's probably not as good as, as we thought he was, uh, I think. And, and maybe he didn't knuckle down in quite the way he perhaps could have done as well. I mean, I totally take your point. Height does help in certain ways, but I don't think it is the determining factor as to whether you are going to make it at the top or not, because other players have have proved that they can. But his results, and height is the point of this this discussion, he beat in, in the space of four matches, three of his opponents were Riley Opelka, who is 6 feet 11, John Isner, who's six feet ten, and Ivo Karlovic, who's six feet eleven, and he and he played five tie breaks against those three players, and he won the lot. I mean, I, I find that I, I didn't watch any of those matches. I kind of want to go and see how he did it because I, I, I can barely believe that on a hard court that he can beat those servers with with his game. I mean, they are a full foot taller than him. <laughs> So we've got Victor Estrella Burgos, the altitude specialist, and Donald Young, the giant killing specialist. I don't want to play Donald Young. (laughs) You shouldn't want to play anyone, David. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Heading down to Rio now. Dominic Team won the title in Rio. It's a, it's a great title for him. I think only his second ATP 500 title. He beat uh, Pablo Carrera Buster in the final 6-4-7-6. Uh, and, uh, yeah, a great week for Dominic Team. I can't take that away from him. My question mark is, that's a clay court event. He'd been playing on hard courts before that he's indoors. now going to head indoor hard courts he's now going to head to Acapulco and play well he will already be in Acapulco presumably because that event starts today Monday as we're recording uh, where he's going to play on an outdoor hard court and then he's going to head to Indian Wells also an outdoor hard court now maybe he will peak for Indian Wells maybe this is all uh, a best laid plan but at his state, my argument is that at his stage of career, with his potential, he needs to be looking to peak for Indian Wells and Miami. And I think we've just seen him peak on clay. He loves to play on clay. I get that. He just wants to get onto clay any time he can. But surely you've got to be looking bigger than that. You've got to be looking bigger than just winning, you know, these smaller events. He and I, I'm going to be very, very surprised. If we see him peak in Indian Wells and Miami now, is is my point. I could be, I, and I, 
I do feel bad that I'm talking about a negative because it's a great week, but I don't think Dominic Team's career at this stage should be about great individual weeks. It should be about the Grand Slams and the big events and the overall story. What do you think, David? Powerfully said. Powerfully said, Catherine. I mean, ultimately, it, the next three to four months, I think, will will determine whether whether he's got a point or not. Because his his point is he's trying to build a foundation and uh, and 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 that so, sort of thing. And he's also pointed to having had his best results over the last twelve months um, versus the rest of his career. I, not I, at Grand Slams, Dominic. Not at well, Grand at, Slams. Well, I mean, at, yes, at the, the French, French Open, Open but then he was, yeah. Anyway, but look, I, I I agree with you fundamentally. I don't I don't get it. I don't understand why you go from Rotterdam indoors to Rio outdoors on clay to Acapulco on hard court. I I don't get that as a as a swing, so to speak. But he's just won Rio on clay. Let's find out. We'll we'll find out the next few weeks. But yeah, you're right. I should, I, I should. I don't get it either. I don't get it. But we should. I should reserve judgment uh, until we do see Indian Wells and Miami and then I can say big fat I told you so not to his face obviously because I don't have the guts to do that Casper uh, uh, Rude David Casper Rude who is Casper Rude that's what I've written in my agenda who is Casper Rude he reached the semi-finals uh, in Rio lost out to Pablo Carena Buster uh, took him to three sets but faded in the third lost the third set six love he's 18 he's He's from Norway uh, and he is, I think, quite tall. That's what I know about him. Tell me what you know about him, David. Well, Actually, I'm... although Wikipedia is saying 1 metre 83, which is... Not that tall. Not, not that tall. <laughs> so I know that he's 18 and from Norway. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I know for a fact that his dad is a former player, Christian Rude, who... Showing my age, I've realised he's only a year older than me. Which, uh, which, when when players that I know become dads to other players, it starts to to really hit home. How old you're getting? But I, I remember him from the tour. He was a, a former world number thirty nine. Um, you know, good player and a good guy. And um, here he is with an eighteen year old son, um, tearing it up out of. Well, kind of out of nowhere. I mean, I know he had uh, some some uh, of his off-season training with with Kyle Edmonds, and uh, um, I saw some pictures on his social media for that. I also remember somebody when we were doing the "Who's Next" conversation a few months back. Somebody, I think, at Tennis Podcast wrote to me and said, "Casper Rude, watch out for him." You know, well, it, well and- he has been a world number one ranked junior this time last year. I think he was the world number one junior. So. Yeah, uh, that alone is enough to insert himself into the conversation. Yeah, it's um, it's really something. I mean, he he is um, the youngest quarter finalist at an ATP event since Borna Cioric in Basel in 2014, um, and then he went on and, and got to the semis. I mean, that that is a cracking run from from uh, somebody who's just coming on that scene for the first time. So. You know, it's it's really exciting and um and to see him. I, I did also notice he'd got he'd got one of those hairstyles that the players have when they're seventeen and eighteen. He he hasn't got it anymore, he's he's seen the sense, but he had one of those peroxide blonde Roger Federer seventeen and uh, Dominic Team nineteen haircuts mm, that uh, I, I'll stop you right there, David, because Dominic Team had it when he was twenty two. But oh, carry he? on. Yeah. Well not to worry. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know we all learn at different times I've got mine now at 43 what can I say? Uh, yeah I, he's precisely six foot tall I've just done a, a, a quick um, translation of one meter eight he's precisely six foot tall so in tennis player terms neither tall nor short an unremarkable height and, uh, <laughs> yes, when I, yet I remarked Twitter, on it I yeah. put out on Twitter at Tennis Podcast. Tell me all you know about Casper Rude. Uh, somebody pointed out you spelt his name wrong. So uh, <laughs> there, there we are. That's how much I know about him. So apologies to Casper, and uh, we'll get your name right in the future. Our eye is firmly on him now. We will be keeping an eye on his progress. Presumably, David. He's not. Uh, I don't know where his ranking goes to now. Um, I'll have a little look on the ATP website, but presumably that run alone. 
uh, could get his ranking. He's up to 133. There are, of course, these um, next-gen finals coming up in Milan in November of this year. I do wonder yeah. whether... Yeah, well, he, he's, he's perfect candidate isn't he for that kind of thing um and uh yeah uh, i think it's uh it's fantastic yeah 133 i see um on the uh yeah, on I, the I most recent that. list yeah, I that, said yes. That. yes oh, sorry, yeah. sorry. um yes 133 so that would be exciting i think it'd be exciting definitely to have um it feels awful to say new names but it does feel like we've been talking about the likes of Chorich and Zverev etc for for ages now which is unfair to them because they're still incredibly incredibly young but um such was their early development we have been talking about them for a long time but Casper Ruud uh, a, a slightly newer name so that's very exciting now then oh um, before I forget David before I am even at risk of forgetting and I feel really, really sorry for David Goffin because we forgot to mention last week, uh, it was on the agenda and I referenced that we were going to be talking about his top 10 debut after reaching the final in Rotterdam and then we forgot to mention it. So David Goffin made his debut in the top 10 after reaching the final in Rotterdam, which is a very big deal for him. Unfortunately, <laughs> by the time we've got around to mentioning it in this week's podcast, he's now been squeezed out of the top 10. <laughs> By oh, Joe Wilfred Songer. Joe. I mean, um, sake. I'm sure he will um, re-enter the top ten at some stage in his career. Um, but uh, I hope the stay there was um, pleasant, David, albeit brief. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Yeah, well, he, he'll he be back there that much, I'm, I'm sure. I I think he's, you know, you're talking about Donald Jung and players that are not that tall and um, Goffan is not a big guy either tall or in terms of broad shoulders he is a, a, a twig of a man isn't he and yet he is able to generate power I, I love watching I was talking last week about Kane Ishikuri and Alexander Dolgopolov and it's a similar kind of feel when you watch Goffan somebody who's pro- able to produce explosive power from this wiry frame and I don't really know how how they do it it comes down to timing and racket head speed and just just pure hand eye 
coordination. I, I think he's he's brilliant to watch golf and also so quick around the court and from my very small dealings with him a really nice guy too so you know that's a, a massive achievement from Goffin and and I I think he's getting better too David Goffin a twig of a man that's going to be his new uh Twitter bio line <laughs> Said with affection, David. Podcast, uh, I'm sure. Uh, there's lots to talk about in the women's side of things, uh, but I have rejigged our agenda a bit because I think it feels natural to uh, keep talking about the men's side of things, uh, seeing as we've started talking about Acapulco, which is where Dominic team will either be arriving or has arrived now. Uh, Novak Djokovic, David, has taken a wild card into Acapulco. This is in a week where Dubai is happening. He traditionally has either played in Dubai or not played at all. This is an unusual move, to say the least. Why do you think he's made it? Yeah, that's an, that is an interesting one. I'd, I'd not thought about the Dubai connection, but of course you're right. For many years he played Dubai and he won that tournament and he was brilliant at it. Um, why, did, why has he done that? I mean... I, Maybe maybe it is a late choice, and Dubai had given all the wild cards. I'm 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 just speculating. I don't even know whether that that is the case. It, it is a possibility. I, I've I've spoken to many tournaments and been involved in those type of meetings where you think, oh, do we hold back a wild card in case such and such player wants to uh, wants to enter? Um, I'm I'm quite sure that there are financial. <laughs> implications as well and and incentives to 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 be playing but i also feel that at the moment djokovic just needs to find his way back into the into the game you know he needs to start feeling the way he used to feel and having seen some of the pitches he's getting plenty of love out there in acapulco it's a it's a new setting as well i think that's the other thing you know sometimes i think just going and having a complete change of scene can be good for a player um, I don't. I don't know whether he's ever played Acapulco. I don't think he, he ever hasn't, has. He hasn't played Acapulco. Do you think there's any um, potential truth to lots of people speculating that he, he just wants to get matches and wins under his belt, and it is a deliberate move to avoid playing Murray, Federer, Vavrinka, the, the the big guns that are in Dubai? Do you think it's a deliberate move? He wants to play, but he doesn't want to play them. Well. Maybe, but when I look at his draw and see that he could play Del Potro in the second round and then maybe Nick <laughs> Kyrgios in the third round, that's backfired, doesn't it? I mean, not to say he won't beat them, but that's as, as difficult an, an early couple of rounds draw as you could possibly get. I'd be surprised. I don't think Djokovic doesn't strike me as the sort of character who feels that he needs to to pump up his own record in order to to gain confidence he strikes me as somebody who thinks that if he's playing well if he's on top of his game he wins tennis matches most of the time and, and frankly the, the the statistics and record would support that um i do think that there is something in the idea that he might want to completely change of scene and and to just you know freshen things up uh, he has looked jaded for the last six to eight months since since that French Open, uh, the Wimbledon onwards, even at the U.S. Open, getting to the final, and, the, and there was a, a, there were a few flickers of, of freshness about the way he played at the O2. But by and large, he's just looked as if it's all old news to him, really. And frankly, you can kind of see why because he's won everything, he's done everything. Give me another reason to keep keep this up is is what I what I've wondered for a while and. And Acapulco is is, in, is new territory for him, so maybe that will help. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, yeah, we'll keep a very, very close eye on the goings-on in Acapulco. There's, of course, a WTA event happening there simultaneously. Lots of people going loco down in Acapulco. She didn't uh, say over, that. She I did, did I did say it. I did. I couldn't. I just couldn't resist. Uh, over in Dubai, I've got no Dubai-related puns. You'll be pleased to hear. Over in Dubai, now this is very interesting. Uh, play just getting underway uh, in Dubai today. The draw is very interesting for one thing, but uh, we'll come on to talk about Federer uh, in a moment. It's the first chance we've had to see and hear from Federer, Murray, Vavrinka since the Australian Open. 
Andy Murray, uh, in his pre-tournament press, has revealed that he suffered from shingles uh, coming after the Australian Open. Uh, he said it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't great either. Uh, shingles can be pretty debilitating. Uh, it sounds like he didn't have uh, the most debilitating form. But Simon Briggs, our, our esteemed colleague from the Telegraph, Simon Briggs, was very, very punchy on this in his article published yesterday. He was pretty clear and unequivocal that this to him seems like a direct result of training too hard. The opening paragraph from his piece is concerns that Andy Murray might be pushing himself too hard in training have been heightened by the news that he contracted shingles on his return home from the Australian Open and uh, that there is definitely a very strong link between shingles and sort of exhaustion, physical depletion. Uh, that That's not a big leap to say that, that, that there is a big link there. Andy Murray hasn't explicitly said that that's the case. Um, Simon points out that those close to Murray have suggested that his December training block in, in Miami was particularly harsh last year, this most recent one, uh, under the close attention of head coach Ivan Andel. Apparently it was it was pretty pretty brutal. I mean, bowl accounts, it always is that training block that Andy Murray undertakes, but suggestions that it was even more brutal this time and that he did uh, look a little bit jaded in Abu Dhabi uh, and uh, Doha and in uh, Australia. It's easy to say that after the fact. I mean, he did reach the uh, final in Doha and uh, came up against an inspired Misha Zverev in Australia, though I would agree with Murray uh, pointing out that he never really played his very best in Australia. I would certainly agree with that. But what do you make of it all, David? I mean, it's not this is this is a bit of an unknown quantity, isn't it? Hearing a player talk about shingles, can you can you think of any um, other examples of a tennis player suffering from shingles? No, I don't remember any other player coming down with shingles. To my knowledge, I remember about seven or eight years ago, Murray had to pull out. I think of Dubai with uh, with a virus, and uh, and it was around about this time of year, and and there was the feel that. Yeah, actually, you can reduce your your immune system and, and be more prone to these kind of things if you don't if you're not careful. And uh, yeah, I mean that, that that is an interesting one. I, I think it's it's unproven, isn't it? It's it's guesswork from our position. I mean, Simon's obviously got sources there that he's spoken to, and and uh, and and I, I, he has mentioned that to me before that you know. Is, that may have been a, a, a factor in that relatively early defeat at the Australian Open. And let's be honest, Andy Murray didn't really look himself throughout that Australian Open. He wasn't 100% convincing throughout that tournament. And and, he, and during that match, certainly he didn't look himself at all. Um, but off-season training is a real... It's, it's, it's a real balance, isn't it? Because... You can imagine overdoing it. I've seen players do it before and come down with viruses in the past. Um, and, you know, the, a lot of them have come down with things like glandular fever in the past. And, and I think that the, the immune system elements there are, are, are a factor. But I don't know. I, I mean, he always feels, Murray, that he needs to train like a demon in the off-season in order to, to feel at his best mentally on the court as well. But I, do, I just feel that you're on that knife edge. You can go too far. It is possible that he overdid this one. Yeah, definitely. As I say, Simon, very, very punchy on it. Check out his his uh, article. He does seem to have his sources. But I guess time will tell. We'll see how he plays in Dubai this week. He has... Uh, got Manik Jaziri in the first round, which is not a particularly easy first round. Roger Federer has Benoit Paire. Uh, projected quarterfinals are Murray, Muller, Federer, Puy. That would be interesting. And in the bottom half, Monfils, Bautista, Agut and Vavrinka, the defending champion. Uh, he's been suffering from a bit of a knee injury, which he says he's shaken off now up against Thomas Burdick. Thomas Burdick ranked at number 14 in the world. He says it feels unusual to be outside the top 10. Unusual is how he's describing it. I'm sure he'll be very, very keen to get back there. Um, 
Roger Federer, David, has been speaking ahead of his return to action in Dubai, his hotly anticipated return, we might call it. He said all sorts of interesting things. He's done quite a few interviews. He's done one with Barry Flatman in the Sunday Sunday Times. He had one with Reem Abilil in uh, Dubai Sport 360. All of them really interesting. He just always is interesting. He signed this three-year deal with the Basel tournament. He says, as long as I'm playing, I'll be playing there, which sounds to me like injury permitting, he intends to play for at least another three years. Is that how you interpret that? Yes, it is. I, I still wouldn't read a whole lot into it because I think it's perfectly possible that in a year or eighteen months he may just decide he's had enough, and that's the end of it. That 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 contract he signed with Basel, I'm quite sure, won't be something that he has to keep to in and, and, and play tennis in order to fulfil necessarily. But I do think it is a statement of intent to himself that I think. In the words of, of the, a couple of the articles I read, that that while I'm feeling like this, why would I not want to play? I, the, the difference between him and Sampras in the latter stages of his career are so significant. Um, Pete Sampras was, was 31. He hadn't won a title in a couple of years. Then he managed to get that US Open title, and he tried to make a comeback or he tried to to come back off that and start another season to to keep going and and it, he just said it wasn't there he did not have the fire in his belly anymore he went training with Paul Anico and his coach and he just couldn't see a reason to do it anymore and to, to go around the circuit with Sampras at the time uh, as I did he he was just trying to get the landmarks he was trying to get the records because he felt that that's what his rec- his personal record deserved and what what he what he craved was was the title winning feeling he didn't enjoy the day to day anymore it seemed to me he looked he looked tired he looked f- burnt out exhausted by it all federer doesn't look like that at all we we talked about it a number of times we took if you even go back to when we first saw him in that periscope of his own training session at the outset of the season he looked like a freshly hatched chick. He looked so excited to be out in the open and playing tennis again out in his domain, and he's like that every week now. So while he's fit, he'll keep on playing. I'm quite sure of it. Why, just why wouldn't he? Yeah, I mean, he looks like a bloke that just can't believe his luck to me, which is which is a, a fantastic sight. There's so many fantastic quotes from all these interviews uh, and press conferences he's done. He said he still wakes up in the morning uh, and remembers that he won the Australian Open title and smiles to himself. He says this one, sort of the joy of winning this one is stuck with him. Uh, longer than any other Grand Slam title uh, he's won. He says uh, his friends have been pressuring him uh, to sort of have a movie night and rewatch the whole final, uh, which he's so far resisted, but he does admit that he's watched the highlights quite a few times. Um, he, he gave some great quotes about Serena Williams saying how much he's inspired by her. That was really uh, interesting. He says he doesn't see himself as the favourite for Dubai, which uh, is interesting. I mean, he's not by any means the top seed so I, I suppose that makes sense um, uh, just one other thing uh, to draw attention to is his quotes on the clay court season uh, just to read them out to you he said I know the French is going to be hard just because I would have to put in so much work on the clay court season to be really perfectly ready for the French and then even then there is no guarantee I have to ask myself the question how much am I going to put into the French Open now that's pretty open-ended it sounds like he hasn't made up his mind but it also sounds like he's not going to be playing a full-on clay court season to me David what do you make of that well it would make sense to me because the best chance he's got of doing this again and and one of the interviews he, he said the only way I could top this is maybe if I had another two years off and then came out and won Wimbledon uh for an eighth time now of course he he doesn't intend to take two years off but Winning an eighth Wimbledon is certainly something he feels, I reckon, that he, he can do. And, and and I'm quite sure he, he is capable of doing that if things fall his way and if he finds that level of form that, that he's capable of. The best chance of him finding that form is to go into Wimbledon fresh and feeling good, feeling physically 
right the way he did throughout much of Australia. I know he had that that twinge that that he's still uh, nursing at the moment. But if he were to play a full clay court season and and lose that feeling of freshness, I think it would hurt his chances at Wimbledon at the age that he's at. Um, Ivan Lendl played sparingly in the latter stages of his career as he tried to win that elusive Wimbledon title. He didn't manage to do it, but his view was, I've already won the French a number of times, I'm just going to skip that and play Wimbledon. And he did that twice. Um, I I don't think Federer will do that. I think he will play, but I think he'll freewheel. Um, I think he'll play maybe a couple of clay court events and then the French. don't think we'll see him much more than, say, Madrid and Monte Carlo. Maybe that's it. And then and then the French. I don't think he'd play Mid- I think he'd play Rome over Madrid, don't you? I think. No, I think, I, I think I if he's going to miss one, I think it would be Madrid. Madrid's the one he's always done well at um, in terms of the, the the quick conditions. I think he likes that. I think he likes the history of Rome, though. I think he likes the stature of, of the tournament. But, yeah, I mean, look, who knows? Uh, I, if they I, put blue clay down, he'll definitely go. <laughs> yeah, he loved the blue clay. <laughs> He's one of the only players that loved the blue clay. Maybe they'll do that. Just It's like laying down the red carpet for someone. We'll lay down the blue clay just for you, Roger. Um, we must talk about um, the WTA Tour because they have uh, just finished their week in Dubai. And Alina Svitolina, David, won the title there. She is making her top 10 debut. And uh, I've written in the agenda here, are there similarities to Karolina Pliskova this time last year? Much, much talked about player. Definitely has all the equipment. It plays a lot, sneaking there into the top 10. But perhaps not talk about talked about as much as she could be because her record at the biggest events, her record at the slams is so bad. She hasn't announced herself onto the biggest stage yet, but is it just a matter of time? Well, I, I think I said at the start of the season or towards the end of last season, I think when I was in Singapore, my feeling was that next Singapore, Svitolina will be there in the top eight. She feels like she has that ability to to string results together. Different case at the slams. And and the way I would differ her to Pliskova, Pliskova has a massive game. You know, it's if it's on, you're in trouble, but it can sometimes be off. Svitolina, I think, is a much more consistent player generally in terms of her game. I don't think she has the quite the degree of, of power, the weapons, and she does get really nervous sometimes when she's closing in on big victories. So I think that that's probably cost her at the slams. I think she's sometimes got a little too anxious. But this is somebody, I think, who will just keep on punching the clock. She has huge drive to get better all the time. I think she will be a, a regular top 10 player now for the next few years. Um, there's no reason, though, really, why she can't do what Kerber has done in terms of you look at their game styles and neither one of them has got brutal explosive power but both of them can be very very effective I, I think she will figure it out at slams but um but yeah I think that may even still take another year she's still working with Justine Ennan isn't she Is, no, in no sort not of anymore cont- I don't not think anymore so. I know but well, they when, did, when did that split together. up they, they were together for a period last year um I think towards the end of the year before as well, they um, were certainly but, together at the end. Uh, at the end of the year, she didn't travel very much, Enan, but they certainly were at the end of the year. I, d- I don't remember hearing any reports of them having. I know she wasn't in Australia, but I, I wonder if it's sort of an official split or whether. I don't know. I don't know. She was with somebody else earlier there. this year. I can't. I can't for the life remember who she was coached by at the start of this year. But she's been with somebody else this year. Um, it, but in her quotes after winning Dubai uh, yesterday, two days ago, she said she she wanted to do it for Justine. She said she was very disappointed with her performance in Dubai last year when Enan, I think, had been with her, uh, and she was very pleased to to do this for Justine Enan. So they're obviously they obviously you know still have still have a close relationship. It's going it's going to be very interesting. Another great week for Caroline Wozniacki. Uh, she reached the final in Dubai backing up the performance in Doha, which is very impressive because I've heard I had so many reports about how different the conditions were um in Dubai to uh in Doha in terms of 
court speed. I know they suffered again uh, with rain, didn't they? They are having a bit of a torrid time uh, in the Middle East with with rain. We wish them well uh, this week for the ATP uh, event. Uh, Not a particularly great week for Pliskova. She lost uh, in the second round her first match, of course, because she got the bye in the first round to Kiki Mladenovic. Do you think she's playing too much tennis, David Pliskova, perhaps? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do, I do think she's prone to that, um, and and I think sometimes these players, you know, they set their calendar out for the year, and then they don't really bargain for if they have a great week somewhere and they win and and they win two in a row, and then suddenly they've got to play a third one. You know, it's uh, I think sometimes that that is a problem. It is quite funny, isn't it? I mean, we we had the show where we were bigging up Zverev a couple of weeks ago, then he loses first round for a couple of weeks. We we, we tell everybody that Pliskova could be the next world number one. She loses first round then Kerber who we've written off has a decent week last week um not doing much for our credibility here am I but the, the um the the fact is that scheduling and you've discussed it with with team obviously and that there are others too even Andy Murray's off-court season um pattern and now Federer does how much clay does he play scheduling oneself is a real art in itself. If you if players who get that right, and I think Federer is the master of it now. Not everybody can operate on his level, but it is a real art in itself. Well, how about Kerber then? A good week for her, but an eventual loss to Svitolina in the semi-finals. What do you what do you make of that? It's her second loss to to Svitolina of the year. Obviously, there's no shame in it we've talked already about what a good player Svitolina is it's something to build on would you say for Kerber yeah I, I thought it was a much better week actually um for, for Angelique Kerber and, and just what she needed I believe she was injured actually um towards the uh the latter end of that match um but um I'm just trying to work out what that injury was but I, I'm fairly sure yeah she she beat a, an injured uh, uh Angelique Kerber is what I'm reading here um take nothing away from Svitolina, very good player but you know Kerber is is another one you wonder whether at some point the miles on the clock of last year as well as all the the emotional and pressure-based um difficulties that she's perhaps undergone might be a cause of it she had uh a, a, a knee problem, she said. She felt some pain at the end of the match against uh, against Fitalina, a match she lost six three seven six. But you know, there's a heck of a lot of tennis being played by Angelique Kerber over the last eighteen months, and you wonder whether that may take its toll. But I, I think, generally speaking, from from a, a, a mental and psychological perspective, a really positive week for her. Yeah, it, it, it yeah. Given given how many difficult weeks she's had, a run to the semi-finals. Uh, in a place we talked about last week where she'd only won one previous match uh, has to be seen as a good week. I think that pretty much rounds up what's been happening tennis-wise, David, for the week. In terms of other things, we had uh, Roger Federer in Prague, didn't we, promoting uh, the Laver Cup, this new... Uh, they're very keen not for it not to be called an exhibition, but to all intents and purposes, it is an exhibition in that it has no sort of tour or ITF status, but uh, everybody pointing out that it will be a very competitive team event uh, in a fixed location, which is interesting in the context of the ITF consultation on uh, the Davis and Fed Cups. That's one of the things that's been uh, being talked about, a uh, single fixed location uh, for uh, Davis Cup, certainly for finals. That, That sold out within hours of being announced. And I know that a lot of a lot of that will be the Federer effect. But that fact alone shows that fixed location team competition, David, does work. Does work if you've got Roger Federer and Rafa. <laughs> Do you like, think it's, ju- it's, no, just I mean, a, yeah. it's just that? <laughs> you, can put, you, could, you could put those two in any location in the world where the people have got enough money to spend and, and people will come and watch or if it's reachable by an airport. Um, I don't think it proves anything. I really don't. I mean, you know, if you got the Davis Cup final of last year between Croatia and Argentina and put that somewhere completely different, I I, I am struggling to believe that you get a full stadium um, based on the, 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 the... the players there. I mean, you would get a good following from Argentina. We saw that. They, they, they had a lot of fans in that stadium. But I don't think 
people from from Croatia, and I, I, I know Croatia very well. I think there's a limit to how many people can make that trip. Um, so, you know, if you're trying to fill a ten to 15,000 seat stadium, I'm, I'm not convinced, and I may be wrong, but... I do feel that 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 it is star driven that the, the Labour Cup in this example. Appearance fees, David, is something we we occasionally sort of obliquely reference on the podcast, but very rarely sort of tackle head on. It's one of these. It's not a dirty secret of the tennis tour. It, it, it is a fact of the tennis tour. Certainly, a huge factor in exhibition tennis of which there are varying degrees will in order to to get the star power of Federer and Nadal and to guarantee that sold out stadium within hours give us an idea of how eye-watering the sums of money involved might potentially be well, for the Labour Cup, I, I'm not sure with that one because because I think Federer's management company is involved in the staging of it. So I think, I mean, in his case, it may be right. Well, I want this to happen, and I'll take a percentage of of the revenue, and and I'll play. You know that 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 that's a way that he could approach uh, something like that. But I mean, you know, tournaments that that Roger Federer plays, he is getting. Uh, if they're if they're sort of it's millions, uh, isn't it? Uh, it, it well, dollars it's, wise, it's millions. It certainly, it certainly can be in in that in that ballpark. You can certainly be over a million for for a number of events that he would play. I'm I'm quite sure of that. You can understand it though, can't you? I mean, if it guarantees you sold out stadiums, you know, look at what happened in in Hotman Cup in in Perth. You know, they they had a full stadium for his practices. I uh, know they that wasn't that they weren't selling tickets for that. They were opening up the stadium for free, I believe. But people were filling out a I think sort of an eight thousand seater stadium just to watch the guy practice. So it sounds like eye watering sums of money, but if you see that as a guarantee of TV rights and full stadiums and the whole thing looking and feeling great. You, you know, it, he he pays it back, I suppose. Um, just on the subject of uh, non-tour tennis, David, I believe you have some tiebreak tens news for us. Yes, there is a new tiebreak tens event in Madrid. Uh, a couple of days before the uh, the Madrid. ATP 1000 and Premier Mandatory tournaments take place. So early May, uh, they've already uh, they're going to run two events side by side in the one night, men's and women's. Both of them eight players apiece. Um, both of them knockout this time, so not round robin. They're playing knockout, uh, which I I I'd be quite interested to see how that works. But first to ten point tie breaks for every match. The men's side has announced so far Nishikuri. And uh, Feliciano Lopez, the women's event, has announced Maria Sharapova. There'll be many more uh, players announced over the next uh, few weeks, of course. Uh, be quite interesting to see how that works in Madrid at a, at a big 1,000 event. We are also, Catherine, we were going to talk about uh, my childhood tennis memory, which I've been doing on uh, Twitter this week. But... Uh, We've kind of run out of time, and and I really want to make sure we get enough time to discuss this. It's a bit like the David Goffan of next week. Because, Why don't you just uh, give us a couple? Give us a couple, well, David. Oh, if- my childhood tennis memory. People have been talking about the, when they were watching Boris Becker win Wimbledon at the age of 17. People were talking about how they watched on a black and white television matches from the 60s and 70s, and, and it made them fall in love with the sport. I love a bit of nostalgia, Catherine. And when you've got as much as many years on the clock as I have, there's plenty of nostalgia to be going around, believe me. So I'll be unearthing all of mine when we eventually get to that. But my childhood tennis memory, hashtag uh, at tennis podcast, if you'd like to get involved in that, and we'll read out the very best ones when we finally get a little window. We'll save it for a, a quieter week, shall we, in order to do it justice. How how inconvenient that there's been all this, you know, actual tennis happening that we have to talk about. And Roger Federer has been giving interesting interviews and Djokovic has been taking wild cards into places. It's blooming inconvenient, isn't it? It certainly is. You know, I mean, we haven't even had pole vault this week. Again, you've done the agenda and again, we miss out. To be honest, if if there'd been less discussion of my bid for a, a, a Wimbledon wild card, we might. Did you see that I ran we- a pole vault about who won your match? No, but I mean, there it, and that you've just proven the pointlessness of pole vault. I mean, do you want another result? 
not really. Go on 52, then. 52% of those who voted reckoned that your brother would beat you. 48% were back in On Catherine. the basis of what knowledge? Like, I mean, literally so pointless, so, so No, there's loads redundant. of... Come on, anybody who's listened to the 284 episodes of this podcast to date knows that your brother is handsomely better than you at tennis. And yet only 52% think that he would... I mean, I can't... We're ending this conversation. We're ending this podcast, David. Uh, you, you might have bags of time to spare to uh, dedicate to this whimsy, but I've got naps to have, David. So on that note, (laughs) this has been the Tennis Podcast brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport. We will be back in a week's time uh, with more tennis and non-pole vault related news. We'll speak to you then. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.